Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Torashek podcast. It is that time of the year where we get ready to log off, take a few days off and spend a bit of time with our families and maybe less time with our phones. But when you're taking a downtime, we will still have new podcasts ready for you over the Christmas period. Lots of exclusives available on patreon.com forward slash Torashek. Where right now, for example, you can find the podcast we just did with the three lads, the three senior hurlers, Owen, Paulie and Roman of the Ditch on the review of 2023 and their plans indeed for 2024. Available right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. So please click the link, join us there, get access to our entire back catalogue entirely plea free, including lots and lots of exclusives lined up over the next few weeks. And you'll be doing us the favour of helping this little platform keep going into 2024. I say it all the time, it is the easiest bit of activism you can do. If you're getting something out of it, this is the way to give it back. Patreon.com forward slash Tortoiseshack. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by a number of guests, some of whom have been on the podcast before, but we're discussing the fallout from the riots in Dublin a number of weeks ago, but not just that, the wider issues of inequality, um, poverty, What's going on in communities, the rise of the far right, how we can provide hope, how we can challenge, how we can come together, how we can build empathy, community. Um, and so I'm delighted to be joined by Paula Carney, who is a community worker in the northeast inner city um, with ICON, and also by Glenn Carney, who's a youth worker, youth and community worker um, in the north inner city as well, and by Dean Scurry. Um, who, of course, is a, a regular enough guest on our podcast, who is a youth worker and activist as well. Um, and people might remember Dean, of course, from the incredible Apollo House occupation um, and the Ireland for All demonstration earlier this year as well. Um, and we're going to, and Paula and Glenn, just to give a shout out to my own department, our, um, Paula is, well, they're both graduates of the Department of Applied Social Studies in Maynooth, here in Maynooth, and... Um, Currently, Glenn is doing the Masters in Rights and Social Policy, and Paul is a graduate of that. Um, and, Glenn, and Glenn also did the Community and Youth Work Master. So this is a podcast about st- providing some analysis um, for community and youth workers and for everybody who's concerned about what is going on at the moment. As I said from the outset, how we can navigate our way forward, find ways of going forward together, um, because there is so much... Uh, division, but there is also a reaction as well around positivity and inclusion. Um, Paul, I might go to you first, just in terms of the inner city and how people are right now and the community and how it's feeling. Um, do you know, it seems to have died down the past week or so. Do you know, I think there's more concern at the moment about the, the child that the children that were hurt, but particularly the one that's still critical. Because yeah. there's been a lot of rumours flying around that the child has died and a lot of other rumours flying around, including some screenshots that the parents have been shut up and all. And again, these are being deliberately shared. And it's this information that's being shared to to like divide the community. But for the most part, people are just concerned about, it, about that child and the healthcare worker that was there, the childcare worker, sorry. But um, it's been tense though. 
Do you know, like a lot of people terrified to come out, and particularly people from the migrant community are terrified to come out. Like there has been reports of children not being sent to school since and out of fear of their children being targeted just because they're children of colour and children of migrant backgrounds. So it's a bit tense at the moment. So it is still like the cameras have gone away and the, the political attention has gone away. But in terms of what the community is left living with, you're saying there is tension, still a lot of tension there. There is. And but there's a lot of anger as well about how the community is being spoken about. Mm. Do you know when you have like the minister standing up and calling people like from communities like yours, scumbags, talks. It just feeds into that narrative that we're used to hearing. Yeah. Do you know, and nobody should get used to hearing that about their community and it, they don't recognise the good stuff that also goes on in the community. Like there's some great groups of young people that do brilliant work, particularly this time of year. Do you know, you'd have young people from services like Swan and all that go out delivering parcels to the elderly people in the community and all. None of that gets highlighted. But when there's something like this, it gets highlighted. Yeah, it was it completely overshadowed the the actual incident because that's what the media focused on was yeah. the riots, everything else, and the type of people that attended the riots. But not once was there an acknowledgement of how them conditions are created. You know, for young people to get involved in that stuff. Do you know, if, like if your communities that continuously feel like they're just left behind and they're being spoken about in that way, of course you're going to have young people that get involved in it. You know, so the focus seems to be on that instead of what had happened in the first place. Yeah. About young yeah. people and children getting attacked. The focus yeah. is more on the riots. And, and uh, yeah, and, and of course the concern and our hearts are with, you know, that child and her family. And it was, you know, it, it, the kind of disturbing hypocrisy and and irony of you know the far right mobilizing around and ended up you know taking complete attention away the riots take complete attention away from you know that tragic you know and horrific incident and of course the the blaming um of migrants for that when you know again it's the point you make out it's one individual and you know you can't as we know in terms of all the work we do around anti-discrimination that you know targeting an entire community group because of one individual is just like it's perverse and wrong. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like I know myself, my own partner, like I'm asking him to be careful going to work. Like he's an African man, do you know? So there is that fear, but it's the whole generalising. And come here, I'll always sort of look right in a way that I I totally understand people getting involved, you know, when they see something like this happen, even with the marches and all, no joining in, because with the communities that's been scapegoated for so long, so it's, if there's aren't wrong, working class communities, people living in poverty, they're the ones that are the issue. So you can understand people jumping in, but we can't also ignore the fact that, for the most part, there are people who just joined in, but we also can't ignore the fact that there is a huge rise in racism, that there is a huge rise in xenophobia. Yeah. So we can't ignore that neither. And I think sometimes it's a very hard issue to tackle. I know an icon, like, I remember when all them marches started up, we were talking about having community meetings and all, but then meetings can get infiltrated. So there's no point in doing it. So what we did was we worked with the Hope and Courage Collective and said, and we had a couple of meetings. We invited people who were, you know, like 
that were trusted in the community to meet, you know, I mean, community leaders and all. And we got them the training on how to have them conversations, you know, because when somebody is already going through the probably years on the housing list, living, the family living, generations living together and all, it's very hard to get them to see that what they're being told, there are all these people that are taking your place is not true. Do you know, yeah. it's very hard yeah. to get them to see that. So then one-on-one conversations, if you provide people in the community with the tools to have them, have more impact than having big meetings and inviting whole communities to come together because a lot of times you have the whole community coming together but the people who's impacted particularly the migrant community are too scared to join their meetings so yeah, yeah it's a hard one yeah and it, it struck that I, I, thanks paula um we'll come back to you in terms of you know your thoughts on it but i think that's very you know interesting in in all the discussion and the media i don't think i heard the the issue of funding to community and youth organisations once once mentioned aside, you know, from Glenn's article in the journal, um, I don't think it was mentioned in terms of the austerity cuts, that, that ripping of that infrastructure apart and that ability to have those conversations um, and what it means. And, and, you know, all the focus was on policing, uh, the policing response and, and the far guns. rights. Go on, sorry, what were you going to say? It's more focus on giving them guns. Yeah. Extra tools to use against working class communities. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than looking at the roots of, you know, why some people got involved. Um, I might go on to that. Thanks, Paula. Glenn, you wrote a really um, powerful piece in the journal.ie, and I really would recommend people to go read it in terms of your reflections on. Um, the riots and it got a huge, um, you know, it was shared around a lot and a huge um, positive commentary in general. Um, what, yeah, just maybe you could set out kind of what you, you wrote about in that article and what you were talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, so obviously I got a bit of attention, which is very strange when you're a bit of an introvert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, And here you are now shoved on a podcast. Here I am on a podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, look, I, I, I thought it was important to contribute to that discussion because, you know, what I found was lost in, in the discussion was, once again, the discourse was kind of being dominated by people who were representing commercial interests, people who were representative of the state and its various institutions. Um but what is lost in that and what has been lost in previous discussions around the community um, is the fact that the North Inner City and particularly in and around O'Connell Street, that area is before it's anything else, is a community. And I'm living there 29 years now. I'm living there since I'm born and the shops come and go, the businesses come and go. Um, certain kind of workers who work for the state are relocated, particularly if they're very good at their job, I find they're relocated. Um, but it's the community that's left at the fallout. And as Paula spoke about, it's it's a trauma that we have to deal with. So naturally, I wouldn't have contributed to, or I wouldn't have wrote an article, but I just wasn't standing idly by when once again, that conversation was being dominated with a lack of, of voices from the community. So um, the article I wrote was really, in, at its essence, an input into where I was and where I am now. So I spoke about the previous kind of, I wouldn't call them riots in the sense that they, like we seen on the 23rd of November, um, it was much lower scale, but it was the response from the, from certain quarters to the visit from Queen Elizabeth in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of highlight the fact that at that age, I was around 16 at the time and I, I went along there. Um, now, before I got a chance to participate, I, I took a, a bad panic attack and had to fly home. Um, but um, I, I kind of highlighted the reasons or, or why did that, that scene appealed to me. Um, and the reason that I highlighted was that, you know, 
at that age, I dropped out of school. Um, school wasn't for me. I didn't f- f- feel like I belonged there. Um, but also I had kind of any engagement I had with the state, particularly in the form of, of the Gardaí, had been quite negative. Yeah. Um, I'd been a victim of police brutality. Um, just to say as well for balance, I, I've met some fantastic guards as well. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the negative kind of experiences you have, they kind of take hold quicker than the, the positive ones. So when the opportunity come up to kind of in, participate in, in the protests, I was like, actually, yeah, do you know what? I'll go along to that. Not necessarily because I believed in, you know, any particular political ideology, um, or any kind of thing of nationalism. It was more so that I seen it as an opportunity to get my own back on the state. Um, and I, kind of came to the conclusion that if an opportunity arose that trouble kicked off, I'd have a chance to throw something at, you know, representatives of the state with, yeah. whom, with whom I was angry. Probably going to get away with it as well because it would have been in the crowds. Um, and really just highlighting how, like, you know, at that time I was quite angry and that anger was being redirected somewhere. Um, and that anger came about because I felt locked out. I felt marginalised. And then I spoke about, obviously, the investments, how you work was such a positive intervention in my life. Um, and kind of redirected me and, and helped me restore that trust um, with both myself and, and kind of various institutions to the point that I made my way back to education and kind of, as you said earlier, kind of doing a master's now, um, which 16-year-old Glenn never would have thought would be possible. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so it was really just a highlight kind of, you know, the positive work that can be done by youth services mm. and other services, but how that's not often acknowledged to the extent that it needs to be. Um, as you said earlier, you know, post 2008 it was decimated i think it, it was cut disproportionately compared to other sectors yeah um and we're only really getting back to where the funding was but when you factor in inflation uh, and things like that it's it's still below what we need and of course you look at the changing you know society and changing needs and everything you know since then and and it's a bit like the social housing discussion as well they say oh we're building loads of social housing now of course which they're not but you're going you're ignoring the fact that you didn't build anything for like 12 years and that leaves a massive hole and a massive you know under resourcing and similarly you know you can't go from switching on community work to then or switching it off to then switching it on you know it takes years and years um, as you know much better than me in terms of building up networks and building up trust and building up um, those links within communities and, and structures within communities where they have the capacity. Um, and when you were looking at that, Glenn, in terms of the riots, you know, what did you feel and think? I suppose in, in, initially, I, I was very disheartened initially, um, you know, both as, as a practitioner in the community, but as a, as a resident of the community. Mm. Um it's not that long since we're over the, the feud. Um, and th- that was actually, believe it or not, one of the things that really set me on the path to going back to college. Because one of the things that sticks in my mind from that is the then leader of the country, Andy Kenny, standing in their national parliament, kind of throwing his hands in the air and saying, actually, I don't know if it's within my remit to intervene in this. Yeah. And just, just that sense of abandonment. Um, and we've kind of met, like, there's a trauma that lingers in the air after something like that. You know, you're looking at many of the people I grew up with kind of, they were sleepwalked into prison cells or early graves, you know, just because someone took advantage of, of their deprived situation. But then we've had some good things since then. You look at Kelly Harrington, you know, um, putting us on the map for in the Olympics. You look at Barry Keoghan, um, who's doing fantastic. And yeah, that brings with it a sense of pride. So I thought when, when the riots happened initially, the scapegoat that Paula mentioned and, and the language from ministers about scumbags and things like that, it just really smashed into that for me and kind of set us back. Um, but also a sense of frustration, you know, because we're hearing words like, oh, unprecedented and unpredictable. 
But it wasn't, there wasn't any of that. Anybody who was familiar with that community could have told you that this was coming to a boil. And particularly on that day, when that happened, we could have told you it was going to happen, but the powers that be just unfortunately didn't want to hear it. Um, so really a sense of frustration, I think. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, we'll come back. Dean, your own reaction and feelings to the the events and where we're at now and how, you know, in Ballymun it was taken in or and how people are reacting, how people are doing. Um, yeah, so my reaction was kind of stay calm and observe see what's going on, see who the actors are, see whose agenda or whose game that we're part of here, um, who is, whose voice or whose media or whose message are we listening to, whose games are we falling for? Because we all know, the three of us as community workers, that, you know, we're part sometimes of, you know, government games or Dublin City Council games or far-right games or criminal gang games and so on. But at the bottom of all that, there's family and community and resources and all that type of stuff. So that's that's the long game that we're playing. And then there's these other intermittent short games that happen for different reasons, for power, for money, for ego, you know, charismatic MMA fighters coming out, you know, and throwing, throwing us all in a tizzy because he wants to run for president. Um, you know, so my thing is to sit back and, and relax and stay calm. And then about a week later, I threw up a few, you know, Instagram posts and I went and met a few different community workers. I met Paula and a few other guys at a meeting that we had. Uh, so one of the posts, the first thing I said kind of online was if you're coming to Ballymun to use hate, fear and racism or fascism or anti-immigrant bullshit to build your group or a following, um, come and have a chat with me first. I'm not hard to find and we won't be long coming to an agreement. Uh, but if you have a genuine appetite to resolve the underlying structural issues that lead to the growth of far ideologies in working class communities, such as the poverty trap, homelessness, failed housing policy, inequality, lack of opportunity, classism, the demonization and exclusion of young working class men and drug users from society, the lack of addiction services, counselling services. If you're coming with that, well, then I'm all ears. But essentially, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael remain in control. They Their power remains intact. Their political game continues to distract and divide us. And they it looks like they've mastered the art of organised corruption. So that's kind of where I am with it. And in terms of Ballymun itself and amongst the community and how influential do you see, you know, Paula was talking earlier, that rise in racism and which is the influence of the far right, not not necessarily the far right being organized as such in Ballymun. I don't know how much they are or not. You know, we know there's a number of high profile individuals going around the city. Um, but, you know, that rise, you know, we saw the, the protests earlier this year at the, you know, the asylum um Seeker, which was formerly homeless uh, accommodation, um, the travel lodge. You know, how are things in the community now in terms of it? In terms of, do you see? So I think the look, the violence, the real violence I see is the violence of poverty and the violence of homelessness. That's the real poverty. This other stuff is like a distraction. It's like a game. It's and it's on social media and it's occasional guys standing outside. Uh, that place where the attack was, you know, days later saying, oh, this is disgraceful and somebody needs to do something about it. And we're the heroes to turn up and, and do that. 
but then you you also have them videos going around of Roma people being the, the new scapegoat. So I wonder who who do, who's the scapegoat the week after that? Is it disabled people? Is it gay people? Is it redheaded fuckers? Is it people with lisps? Who's the scapegoat? There's always going to be a scapegoat, and so let's just observe who that is. Uh, and even like that young girl Alana uh, Quinn Idris who was attacked. There's she's a young Irish black girl. There's no marches and demos and da 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 for that young lady. Uh, so I think it's just really interesting. Who's the scapegoat? Um, what gender are they? What class are they? What background are they? What age are they? What uh, color are they? And if if that type of stuff is used uh, for fear mongering or for power grabs or for money, as community workers, we just need to be aware of that and share that information amongst each other. Uh, because yes, it's the Roma this week, but next week it's somebody else. Next week it's the traveller. Next week it's the working class uh, single mother. And in terms of you know what we talked about earlier, you know this year, and we saw the fantastic. You know, demonstration, the Ireland for all, um, massive demonstration, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people there. Um, you know, we've seen the different, you know, groups, the the you know, East Wall for All and Ballymun for All, and we talked about afterwards the need to, you know, deepen, you know, housing activism, you know, the action that focuses on issues that are affecting people and bringing communities together. Um you know, I think you know there was a huge reaction to the eviction, the lifting of the eviction ban earlier this year. You know, a huge public, public different forms of public action. You know, we're seeing positive action by the likes of you know the tenants union, Katu, doing really good work around public housing in communities. Um, but it seems to me that, and as and, and as Paula mentioned earlier, you know, there's the Hope and Courage Collective doing incredible work around you know messaging, bringing people together. And there's the work done by community and youth work organizations, but there is almost a gap there around that organizing at a community level around the issues that, that are affecting people, housing, the access to health, the access to services, that leaves then that space for the far right and, and racists and, and whoever to just, you know, it's the immigrants who are causing this, it's... And because, as we we've said, you know, there are very, very there are massive, you know, communities. The communities that you're living in have been abandoned. And what do you think in terms of that need for us to bring together to action around those real services that people need, housing, healthcare? Uh, what what I what I think? Okay, so I remember I went down to Andrews part, I think it is, uh, where the, those tents were born down. And I've done a little documentary down there. And I, re- I introduced some of the uh, immigrants, uh, some of the black people, to some of the local residents. And, you know, there was a little bit of tension, but we kind of walked walked it out. And as I was walking around, I realized that the headquarters of Twitter is right beside that block of flats. So that block of flats has been lying there in derelict for six or seven years. And bang, the headquarters of the biggest megaphone uh, in the world is right there. Okay, so that's that's an interesting thing. So what I said was there's possibly a conversation to have with government and tech companies to get a hundred million euro together to work on a real strategy for this community strength of Ireland. 
Now, I said that back in February after we got 50,000 people out for a march. And I said it at a meeting with Paula the other day as well. And I reckon that the burning of our, our city costs 50 million quid in the interim. So between February and, and that meeting, our city was burned down and it probably cost us 50 million quid. So I'm going to say it again. If we have 100 million quid and we put it together, and we can kind of professionalize or get serious about our response to what's happening in our communities. All of our communities, gay, white, black, straight, disabled, immigrant, native, or whoever, all of that community. If we have 100 million quid on the table, we can have a serious conversation and we can, we can be, um, I think we can really aim this community ship in in a in, in the right direction and start to address some of some of the things start to to lobby government in a proper way not just a piecemeal way not just an an angry protest kind of way in a proper organized way i think that that's where we should go and i think we're going to come back to this conversation time and time again until we get serious about it so i'm calling out to all of the unions all of the parties all of the organizations Let's get our shit together. Let's approach government and let's go to the tech companies who use our country as a, as a vessel to make money. Let's take some of their profits uh, and get serious about this. Yeah, I do think we need to come together absolutely in terms of the cross civil society and, and different groups and parties. Just on the money thing, <laughs> you talk about money. They have 12 billion of a budget surplus this year. There's no lack of money. There's no lack of money. There's no lack of money. This is not about money. This is about priority. When this Ballymunner and and these two townies say we need 100 million quid, we've talked about this. You know what I mean? I have the great privilege of me and Paula, uh, our grannies, our sisters. So we have have family. We have community. We know what we're doing. Yeah? This is in our blood. We're the the experts in this. Yeah. Somebody else is the experts. You're being being blindsided. By yeah. rhetoric and fear-mongering. We're the experts, so let's get serious about it. Yeah. Paula, just to come back to you, thanks, Dean. Um, in terms of how you see it going, you know, what can be done now, what should be done now, do you think? I think there has to be a collective push, like Dean was saying, like us as community workers to actually, I think, like even at that meeting last week, there was a conversation about when they're talking about putting in, like, extra things in the community such as what you call them recording cctv cctvs and all like that alone is a threat to activism those conversations about that that it feels that people can't actually be themselves the communities are being watched more than what they would have been like Mm. as much as some people might feel safe extra policing and all there are issues that can't be policed out communities there needs to be communities to come together and the community because a lot of times the communities just feel that they're not being listened to. So as I said before, it's understandable that you get involved in stuff when it happens. Or if there needs to be a collective push by all of us, but I think there needs to be sort of conversations around like getting people to know each other, as Dean was saying about bringing people to actually meet. I remember at a meeting there a good few months. It was one of the for all meetings and Tommy Kilms, a brilliant idea that they did over in Bluebell was when there was all the anti-asylum seeker marches and all, he took some asylum seekers into the service as volunteers and all, got them to meet the community, got the community to actually 
get to know the people on a, you know, on a personal level. Yeah. Instead of them yeah. being this other person over there. Because as well, though, I think as people who work in services, we need to push our boards and all to stop being so white and Irish because the majority of us in the services are white and Irish people. Mm. Uh, we want people to come in and engage and get to know people. Now, we're very lucky in Icon that we have very diverse people, like group of people that come in. But that was us going out into the community and starting up groups. We've a group for mothers with children with autism. The diversity in that group is brilliant. They're in the cultural group. But it's them pieces of actually going into the community and getting people to know each other. Do you know? And I think Dan mentioned uh, earlier about the stake and like being very, very strategic. Like even when you look at the far right stuff, you never hear the government being called out. It's all no. fine. People for profit. All the independents who don't actually have the power. So it's a strategic move by the far right, the likes of people from the National Party and all. I'm on some. Later. Can you go? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wrong. You're right, you're right. Doing a podcast. I kids. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to be on the podcast. That's all it is. <laughs> but um what was I saying then? You were saying in terms of um, the the far right using, yeah, you know, the, the, who they're blaming and yeah. blaming the opposition and as opposed to government. Exactly. And they're coming into communities who probably for many aren't as politically aware, you know, and they're telling them that these people are doing nothing for you and they're targeting the parties that do get the votes within them communities. So I do think there's a very strategic move by parties like the National Party, the Irish Freedom Party, where they know that there's certain votes, certain communities where they can come in and target and get votes when it comes to the next election. So I think when the government see that, the government are okay sitting back and putting their hands behind them and not saying nothing. But again, like I think when we're having conversations in the communities and that, we need to, using the word the far right a lot of the time, using races and that, People just shut down when they hear that and they just automatically assume that you're talking about them and that community yeah. as a whole and anyone who goes to a meeting in March around when that's not what's happening. But they hear them words and they just shut down and think it's being aimed at them. But what we'd be trying to talk to people saying, no, we're not, we don't think you're a fair right. We do not think you're racist. As I said earlier, there will be some who are. But for the majority of people, they're just people who feel that they've been abandoned, feel that the state has let them down. And then they feel that the people who are there to speak for them within the community are also letting them down because they feel they're being attacked by them if they're being challenged on their views or anything like that. So it's really, we have to be really careful with how we do that because we feed into the far right by doing it, I think. Yeah. 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 Feeding into the narrative. And we're giving them a platform by doing it and it's, it creates an unsafe community then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In terms of how we can engage with people and win them away from those ideas, convince them of other ideas, engage with them, try and create a positive um a more positive outlook. And it is a lot about that, you know, education and about you know, as you say, one-on-one -on -one engagement and that, of course, all takes time and, and community activities and positive community activities, um, like you mentioned earlier, and that takes resourcing to do and it takes, you know, building community and valuing community. Um, and as Peter McFerry said there so eloquently, 
<clears throat> a month or so ago, you know, we've created a, or built an economy, not a society. And that's, you know, at the heart of it, the problem. Um, Paula, uh, thanks for that. Glenn, just to take you in, in terms of you and, you know, work you're doing, but also your general thoughts living, you know, in the community. What do you think are the things that should be done now? You did. So, um, yeah, look, I, obviously there's people who, who would be more knowledgeable on, on the far right than myself. Um, I, I understand certain aspects of the debate, but you look at the Hope and Courage Collective who, you know, kind of monitor this in a much more yeah. um, comprehensive way. But for me, I think we're very lucky in the sense that I still think the far right in, in Ireland are small enough that they can be prevented from getting any strong foothold. Um, what, what I do, try to encourage people to remember is that there's the far right and then there's the people who, who they capitalize on their frustrations. So I think the far right are these people who, you know, they have that very rigid view, for example, of what constitutes Irishness. It's the straight white Irishman. Um, they long for a country that's governed under the ethos of the Catholic Church. The issue that they, those people face, in my opinion, is that they're trying to convince a, an electorate who are relatively progressive, by no means mm. perfect, but we have made a lot of progress. You look at the repeal, the eight referendum, the, uh, the referendum to legalize same sex marriage. They can't just walk out in, into, in these communities and say, vote for in Ireland that looks like XYZ under the ethos of the Catholic Church, because they'll probably be rejected. So what they're very good at, as we all know here, is they're tapping into, insecurities that happen into the most humane of things in that people want to keep their children safe and, and they want to them, themselves feel safe. So they're pointing at the immigrant and saying, actually, do you know what? That person represents a unique or inherent danger to you and your children. The unfortunate thing, as we all know, is that that's just not the case. You know, we've heard let's not conflate criminality with uh, migration or Im immigration. And that's because, you know, crime comes from all quarters. It comes from everywhere. It's not represented. It's not natural to one ethnicity or, or one nationality. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of what people are saying. It's about getting those people in and saying, actually, look, these people are trying to lead you down the garden path. Um, I mean, if, if you look at like the empowerment piece that would come about, if we actually sat down instead of labeling everybody as far right and racist, bring them in and say, okay, this is the party that's asking you to vote for them. You're angry over housing. You're angry over cuts to services. You look at their commentary around NGOs. They would do the exact same thing. They, they'd be no yeah. better than, than the government. They're, you know, so it's about just taking them in rather than pushing them to the side and, and abandoning them and say, okay, come in. What are your frustrations? So just creating that, that space to listen. Um, and just, it, we can't ignore housing policy either. Like we've, we've mentioned here numerous times the, the concept of community. One of the byproducts of our housing policy is transients. I live across from an apartment block, a private built around apartment block. And I think in the last couple of months, there's a balcony across the road from me. And the people that walk out one week are not the people that walk out the next week because you have just such a lack of security for renters. So how can you have, how can you have community in any meaningful con way of the concept? when people are not secure in their homes, when they're constantly being moved. Even homeless accommodation, I deal with families who are in homeless accommodation. They'd be living in town one day, then they're relocated. So you can't have a community with housing policy the way it is. So we need to first and foremost for the youth and community sector anyway, to create spaces where people who are, are frustrated can come in and can be hurt. But then also we need to absolutely, what people have said here, come together and coming up to the local and general election, let's do an, an unprecedented push to demand housing policy that creates communities and, and everything else that goes with it. I think that's fundamental because <clears throat> to be able to answer the question that you've raised there, which is what the far right are tapping into, which is that sense of insecurity 
that you know sense of fear concern and that's tapping into a deep deep insecurity past traumas you know traumatized excluded communities and the fear about housing the fear about healthcare the fear about been taken um you know th- those services have been taken away and all that's been fed and it is at its heart that insecurity um which comes from failures on housing failures on healthcare failures on mental health you know all those ones that dean listed and you know as as you said paula and, and i think the thing is we have to you know work with people to go look the real cause of this it's not migrants coming in or asylum seekers. It is government policy. It is landlords. It is the failure to put the twelve billion into, you know, public services and to campaign with people for those. And and it does maybe come back to that question of, you know, it's an age old question around community and youth work, you know, how much can you engage in policy advocacy and campaigning and how much in that, you know, that that really daily work that you talked about there, Paul, of, you know, conversations and Dean, maybe just to, to finish on that, for community and youth work, what do you think does this mean and how should community and youth work respond? Your owl mic is muted, good man. I'm just reading the post there I done the other day. Dividing us is good for business. Dividing us, uh, dividing rule is a strategy used by uh, the British during colonial rule. Creating division amongst communities uh, is a good way to hide corruption and grow profit. If we're fighting each other, there's more profit. So let's keep on fighting as a strategy or let's do what we do best, which is community. But it's 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 multifaceted. It's not just, you know, let's just do youth groups or sports activities, which we all do loads of. Like I run a free gym five nights a week for anybody, immigrant, traveler, it doesn't matter who you are, come down, there's a free gym there. Everybody gets to see each other. That's one thing. But then what Glenn is saying is there's a political economy's education, as in what is the far right? What is republicanism? What is nationalism? Those types of things. Uh, And then like one of the reasons I took Apollo House was to force the conversation about housing and homelessness. And we're still seeing the effects of that occupation. Um, And so we just need to realize what area we're in. Be very confident, be connected, rather than being reactive, like, you know, counterpunching, which is kind of what we're doing, is to be uh, a bit more organized and a bit more proactive. Uh, so that's what we need to do as communities. I kind of get away with doing a lot of stuff in Ballymun because I do it all in a voluntary capacity. So I don't really have anybody to answer to. And one of the reasons we're not doing the stuff that we need to be doing is because certain organizations have to answer to corporates or governments or boards or funders and so on so we need to kind of be autonomous and independent on that and that's why i'm suggesting we get together we put all the resources together we get a hundred million quid on the table and we come up with a shit hot long-term bulletproof real community uh real society plan yeah yeah cheers dean paula what's in terms of going forward what do you think needs to be done Similar, just keep working together, like both including the community in it, because a lot of times does all these, all these initiatives happen and the community are not sitting at the table. There's nobody now. And I will say, like, to see any IC initiative and there are people from the community in it, but sometimes it's a very scary place to be for people. 
They don't feel yeah. comfortable within it. Like we've had issues, you know, in a group where Saver Shoes are representatives and all didn't feel that they could talk out the way that they would. And don't get me wrong, there's great work being done from the NEIC initiative. But the community voice in it is not as strong as it should be. And I think any plans going forward should always have that because and particularly in communities where they already feel that they're not being heard, they already feel shut out. So it's really important to include the community in any plans going forward. But the idea of us just coming together and staying together yeah, yeah. And I think, listen, Paula, thanks so much. And Glenn and Dean as well. Um, the, I think, you know, there's a huge amount um, in terms of what people can you know, think about. And hopefully this has been useful for people. I know it will have been uh, very in terms of trying to find ways forward and to find hope in in these times. And there's so much that, that can be done. Um, and the importance as well of focusing on those the inequalities, the poverty, the real impacts of that and, and engaging with people um, for where they're at and trying to engage them in both a discussion and a campaigning to change to change the country. And it just it's it's horrific in a week where the government is handing out um, tents to asylum seekers, tents and sleeping bags and, and sending the message that Ireland is full uh, and very clearly it's not full. And as I posted earlier, you know, Ireland is full, all right, full of empty buildings, full of vacant houses, full of land um, and also full of love, full of empathy, full of compassion, full of kindness, full of care. Um, and full of ideas and energy to solve these crises and that's what we're going to do so listen thank you so much Dean, Glenn and Paula uh, keep up the great work and thank you so much as always to our listeners if you can share the podcast around um, please support us go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise uh, we are an independent media produced by Tony Groves if you can please uh, support us thank you so much um, stay strong and we'll talk to you all very very soon 